Hello, and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr. I'm happy to have you with us for our very uh, special program honoring the recipients of the University of Iowa's International Impact and Global Student Awards. Here to get us started is Associate Provost and Dean of International Programs, Russ Gannon. Thank you very much, Joan. On behalf of the Office of International Programs at the University of Iowa, please let me extend my warmest of welcome to our award recipients, our panelists, and to the audience at home tonight. As many of you know, we are currently celebrating International Education Week. This event, held every year at the end of November, highlights the value of global learning, not only in academic settings, but in government, business, and private philanthropy. This year, we take advantage of International Education Week to spotlight the accomplishments and resilience of our international students, scholars, and faculty. There is no doubt that this past year has been an especially difficult one for these members of our Hawkeye family. Please know that we will always stand by and advocate for our international students and scholars and will champion the enormous contributions they make to our campus community. Global experiences and international perspectives are essential to preparing not just our students, but the citizens of Iowa for the future that lies ahead. In that vein, tonight's World Campus event, Iowa in the World, will honor Hawkeyes who represent an inspirational and enduring commitment to global education and global well-being. Through their example, we continue to learn the important role that Iowa and Iowans play in the world at large. This evening, we celebrate the 2020 recipients of the UI's International Impact Award, Sarah Landy and Susan and Patrick Keefe, as well as the recipients of the 2020 Global Student Awards, Mishma Nixon and Nicholas Stroop. And for the award presentations, it is my honor to present UI President J. Bruce Harold. It has been my great pleasure to work with President Harold in a number of capacities over the last five years. The Office of International Programs is grateful for President Harold's leadership, accessibility, and collegiality in especially difficult times. A large reason why global education succeeds at Iowa is because President Harold recognizes the importance of international experiences and values the interactions global learning creates on an academic, professional, and interpersonal level. President Harold is a great friend of the international community, and I am proud to introduce him as he makes our formal award presentations. Thank you in advance, Bruce. Thank you, Dean Gannam. Just nod your head if you can hear me. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Just double checking, and, and boy, do I support the international community. I'm teaching right now, and I said uh, a few days ago to some of my students that if they get the chance not just to travel abroad, but to live abroad, do so. It will change your life. I have four kids, and um, they are, all have their partners, and among those eight partners, um, four of them are Mandarin speakers, several are French speakers, a couple are Italians as speakers, and they've lived all around the world. And it, it really makes our world better to have these types of bonds and relationships. And you'll see why in just two seconds. It's, it's indeed our honor to recognize those that have made a huge difference, not only in our community, but around the world. 
you'll see this evening as we are honor these individuals that Hawkeyes, in fact, have made a huge difference in making the world smaller through their international efforts. A great example is Sarah Landy. Sarah from Muscatine, Iowa, earned her BA and MBA degrees from the University of Iowa. She served as a board member, president, executive director of the Iowa Sister States, and she recently served as co-chair of the 30th Anniversary Committee, celebrating the sister state relationship between the state of Iowa and the Hubei province in China. Sarah's citizenship diplomacy efforts with China began way back in 1985 when she arranged a Muscatine itinerary for a very distinguished gentleman, Xi Jinping, and it was his initial visit to, the, to Iowa. She hosted that dinner for Xi Jinping and his delegation in her home, and then 25 years later, lo and behold, Xi Jinping became vice president in China and she rehosted him once again in her home in Muscatine. In 2013, Sarah was named an honorary friendship ambassador by the Chinese People's Association of, of Friendship with Foreign Countries. Sarah Landy is a recipient of, the, of, of course, our UI Distinguished Alumni Award for service and the Athena Award for Women's Leadership. And she served on numerous community and international relations organizations. So it's my great honor to present this year's International Impact Award to Sarah Landy. Sarah, please favor us with a few words. Very much. I think you can hear me. I hope I have it on. So thank you for those kind remarks. And certainly, I believe in every respect, the value of living abroad, international friendships, I Totally think a world of friends and living around, getting to know other cultures is uh, how we're going to have peace in our world. I've had an opportunity through a meeting with Xi Jinping, starting out going to China in 1984 and recently there for the 70th anniversary of uh, the People's Republic of China. But I'll have to say, I thank you for this award, but I really believe the citizens of Muscatine and the state of Iowa are the ones that should receive the award. They have contributed so much through their friendships. Early on, Max Stanley uh, with the Stanley Foundation brought visitors in around the world, and then Bob Ray and the governors uh, Terry Branstead. Uh, established Iowa sister state so friendships could come back and forth and wow do I have a heart full of memories when our the world opened up to China and opened up to Russia we got to see these countries and meet the people and uh, we became a grand friendly a family of friends so I hope in the future I could do things to provide those opportunities to people in Iowa, communities of the world, like you, President Harold, give them a chance to know people from around the world, and then your attitude change. You know, we are all citizens. There's one world, and what's best for one is really best for all. So thank you. I'll do my best to try to carry it on for 
young people and make opportunities for everyone. And Preston Harold, you know that all along the way, well, I think I'm a super Hawkeye too, and, uh, and in many ways, but through all the things that have happened with international exchanges, Iowa University is always there, whether it's international programs, Hampshire's, the international writing program, they're always there, Downey Thomas and your program said, sure, can I help and join them? So thank you. I love the Hawkeyes and I love what they're doing internationally. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for letting us honor you. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's just incredible as we all travel around the world, we all have those Tiger Hawks on and I go through the Heathrow airport or, or uh, Beijing airport and it just everybody says, go Hawks, go Hawks. And so it's just thank you for all you've done personally. You're a great representative, not only of the University of Iowa, not only of Iowa, and not only of our country, but a great representative of our globe. So thank you very, very much. <laughs> our, our next honorees are, you'll see the same pattern here, of, of big-time international supporters. Um, we're honored to present this next International Impact Award this evening to Patrick and Susan Key. Patrick earned his bachelor's degree in pharmacy here at the UI, and his career has encompassed being an executive, consultant, an entrepreneur in the healthcare field. And in 1971, Pat and Susan volunteered with the Diocese of Davenport to be medical workers. Pat as a pharmacist, Susan as a nurse, in a remote Mexican mountain village. The Keith family has continued to care for underserved or vulnerable communities ever since then, including immigrant populations, women and children during and after pregnancy, and those who are hungry or undernourished. At the University of Iowa, the Keith family has generously supported various initiatives in the College of Pharmacy, including a professorship and a scholarship. Through their support here at the university and beyond, Pat and Susan continue to focus on mentorship, education, and creating opportunity in the arena of global and international issues. It's my great honor to present this year's International Impact Award to Pat and Susan. Again, incredible Hawkeyes, incredible citizens of the world. Pat and Susan, please share, if you will, a few words with us. Thank you. Well, Sue and I would like to thank uh, President Harold International Programs Associate Provost and Dean uh, Russ Gammon and the University of Iowa for the uh, 2020 International Impact Award. Uh, Sue and I are the uh, first two people in our families that ever went to college. And that education uh, gave us a springboard to success in life. And we've always felt that we had a responsibility to share uh, not only our education, but whatever financial things that we can do for people that maybe don't have as much as we have. So that's been kind of what has driven us over the years. And uh, we're very grateful for the award. Thank you very much. And I thank you as well. It's a big honor. Um, needless to say, the University of Iowa is the best university in the world at our house. Um, no one questions it. So to win an award like this is uh, magnificent. Uh, and uh, we do thank you so much. 
Well, I think everyone can see why Pat and Susan are such great friends of the university. And thank you once again for all that you've done. And yes, there really is only one university around the world. The rest are just brands. So thank you ever so much. It's wonderful. You know, we are here at this university as a result of great efforts like these, these three alumni, alumnus alumni that we just recognized, but we're also here for students. And so I'm pleased to present a global student award uh, to two remarkable Hawkeyes. First is Mishma Nixon, uh, and, and, and she's a first generation undergraduate student from Colombo, Sri Lanka. And she's in the honors program, majoring in English and creative writing. Mishma has served as the cultural director of the Campus Activities Board, organizing large-scale events such as the Taste of Asia and facilitating collaborative events such as the Sant with the Pakistani Student Organization and Multicultural Showcase with OASIS. She's currently the vice president of the South Asian Student Alliance and the undergraduate chair of the International Student Advisory Board, which provides support for international students through advocacy and program support. Mishma's career goals are to research, write, and facilitate diversity and inclusion in children's literature. She hopes to go to graduate school and to write and publish the stories she's always wanted to read when she was growing up. It's my great honor to present a Global Student Award to Mishma Nixon. Mishma, please share a few words with us. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you to International Programs. Thank you, President Harold. Um, it's definitely special to receive this award in this specific semester because I am back home in Sri Lanka right now. So it feels even more um, to uh, be recognized for um, being an international student and um, campus internationalization. And I really want to thank every student and um, administrative staff I work with, especially through the International Student Advisory Board, because this year especially has been very challenging for a lot of international students. So it's been very, very special and um, very um, helpful to see. Uh, and I'm like very appreciative of how everyone has stepped up and everyone has spoken up for international students. Uh, and I really hope that that continues. And yeah, I'm just uh, very happy to be here and share this with all of these great people. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Mishma. Um, and I've lost track of my time zones here, but are you 11 and a half hours off of us? Yes, I am. So it is 5 a.m. here. <laughs> right. That's what I was trying to double check. I was going to add, I, I, I always didn't know which way to go, um, whether you're ahead or behind. But at any rate, um, thank you. And just so everyone knows, Mishma and I were just on a, in a meeting together for about an hour, an hour before this with a whole bunch of student leaders. So she's not only a great global citizen, she's a great Hawkeye and really providing insight as to the struggles that all of us are going through uh, as, as students and learners during this very difficult time period. So, Mishma, thank you all for all that you've done. Um, I'm sure your classes hopefully are over for the day. Uh, get some early breakfast and go to bed. Thank you ever so much. And thank finally, you. I'd like to – thank you. Thank you. Finally, I'd like to spend a, a moment introducing Nicholas Fruit. 
Nicholas is a PhD candidate in educational policy and leadership studies here at the university. And in 2019, he earned a Stanley Award for international research that allowed him to travel to Kosovo, which was a sister state, has a sister state relationship with Iowa. Nicholas interviewed PhD seekers in Kosovo about their desires to pursue doctoral education. Nicholas has also worked to build a digital map of undergraduate access to higher education in Kosovo and to catalog accreditation decisions about Kosovo's post-secondary institutions. In 2019, Nicholas traveled to Norway as part of Dr. Casey Barnhart's collaboration with the University of Oslo. He studied how international and domestic graduate students in Norway and the U.S. fund their higher education pursuits and experience disability services on their campuses. Nicholas has continued to work on a variety of transnational research projects on the graduate study experience and research methods throughout the international arena. Nicholas's career goal is to become a professor of higher education, either here, when I say here, <laughs> not just the U.S., but maybe right here in Iowa City or abroad. And so it's my great honor to uh, turn the podium over to Nicholas, who will now receive a Global Student Award. Nicholas, please share a few thoughts with us. Thank you. Thank you so much, President Harold, uh, and uh, to everyone at International Programs. Um, I came to Iowa because of the international opportunities that were offered here, um, and it's the support uh, of everyone involved in making uh, the student experience and all of the um, nested experiences uh, that allow for us to you know, do the research of our dreams uh, from, for me, it's in Coralville. Um, uh, all, all of that has been life-changing for me. And so I am um, incredibly thankful. Um, and I'm glad that uh, doing some research allows us to start to look at some of the, the big problems uh, in society, uh, pulling uh, from uh, all different parts of the world, looking at um, uh, things through lenses that can only be solved through uh, intercultural communication. Thank you. Thank you, Nicholas, and, and, and thank you. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think our world really needs, as all of our awardees this evening mentioned one way or the other, um, yes, it's a big world, but uh, we're all connected. And the more connected we are, the more we communicate, the more we share, the more we study problems together the better off our world will be. Thank you all for letting us award you, uh, you this small token of our appreciation uh, for all that you've done for us and for the world. Again, congratulations to all of you for uh, receiving your International Impact Awards um, and to our, as well to our student award winners. Um, it, we're, we're so proud and grateful for all that you've done. And wherever you are in the world, just remember you're once a Hawkeye you're always a hot guy. Uh, Russ, let me turn it back to you for a few final words. Thank you, Bruce. Um, what I really cherish about this particular moment is the way that the community comes together. We see the student population, we see faculty, we see staff, and we see alumni. Um, and it's that kind of unity that can propel us forward. This is what International Education Week is all about. This is what the Office of International Programs is, is all about. It's that sense of, of community and that sense of doing things together. And so we are grateful for the support 
and we're grateful to be able to show just a small token of our appreciation for everything that our alums and students and faculty and staff do for us. Well, welcome back to World Canvas. Uh, it's my pleasure to be joined by International Impact Award recipient Sarah Landy and two other special guests. Uh, Dimi Doreska, the Director of the Institute for International Business in the University of Iowa's Tippi College of Business, and Russ Gannam, Associate Provost and Dean of International Programs. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, Sarah, I see you there on the screen. I'm sorry we can't be meeting in person today for such a, a lovely event, but um, this will certainly do. Uh, congratulations once again on your International Impact Award and uh, for all of the commendations you've received throughout your lifetime. Uh, we just heard President Harold a moment ago name many of them and obviously they speak to your commitment to Iowa and to the idea of citizen diplomacy and person-to-person -person outreach, friendships that can open doors to global understanding. Can you tell us how you first became interested in international relations? Well, yes, I came, when we came to Muscatine, I mentioned in an early remark, my husband was an attorney with David Stanley, and his father was Maxwell Stanley, who had started the Stanley Foundation after World War II, and he brought visitors in from around the world, whether it was like people going to the moon, but from all over the world, and that ended up having a flavor of internationalism in our community, you know, way they Stanley's led great decisions, different discussions. Then also because of that, we had early discussions on China. You know, China was opening up. Who was it? And uh, about that time, our former governor Bob Ray initiated a sister state relationship with Hebei, and there was an article in the paper that said. Anyone enjoy, uh, would like to be involved in this? Raise your hand. So I said yes. And then he and his wife led a three-week tour to China uh 1984, where only bicycles, deep-fried grasshoppers. But I fell in love with China at that time. And then the Iowa Sister States Organization was started up to help facilitate these relationships after Governor Ray uh, left office. But during his time, he was president of the International Friendship Force. He was on the U.S. delegation to the U.N., and he welcomed refugees from Cambodia to our state. So everything was open up. We all were sort of globalists, and, you know, perestroika, that was opening up, and there was a chance to be excited about the world. And I jumped in and said, sure, I'd like to be involved. Um, well, it does seem as though you were sort of right in the middle of it. Obviously, the Stanley family has been not only involved with the University of Iowa, but, but we know about the uh, Stanley Foundation for Peace and Security and their longstanding interest in creating those relationships between people and nations and trying to figure out some of the, you know, big issues and, and big uh, uh, concerns between countries and, and uh, individuals. Um, you already mentioned Governor Ray and the uh, well of the refugees from Southeast Asia, which, uh, you know, when I was a girl, this was just an incredible, an incredible thing to see happen. And it felt like Iowa was a very special state. Yes. He had Iowa cares and Iowa shares. And, you know, people gave 
money, you know, $10 here and there. And it was sometimes during the relationships when he went over to Cambodia and, and tried to work that out, that he ended up spending some time in China and getting his just passion for the world. And, you know, now I, I hope we can have more of that international feeling come back because Iowa was the leader and Bob Ray opened it up for everyone. Would you like to be involved? You know, we were all volunteers and somebody would host you abroad. You had to pay your way, but there was a chance for everybody to welcome somebody to their home. And it just, uh, it was a wonderful time of year. You know, Khrushchev came. It was a grand time under his leadership in Iowa to say, let's be part of the world and bring them to us and go to them. So, so what is the, what is the core of your interest in, in this international engagement, global engagement? It isn't only about the economic relationships, which are important, but economic relationships that Iowans might have with people who live in other parts of the world and, and our industrial relationships and so on. It's much more than that. It's, it's much more about a person to person connection. Yes, I think so. And I'm a real believer that people to people friendships sort of lay the foundation and possibly we hope our national leaders will follow. But even when uh, people were invited back with Xi Jinping and he gave a talk to them, you know, he said, if our people get to know each other, then the countries can get along. And I think when you meet people from another country, it's so exciting to learn about them and their culture. They become a family of friends. So uh, it's exciting and exhilarating. And uh, then you know that we're part of the world, of a great world, not the only thing. We have values and so do they, but that's what makes it interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So just taking a moment more to talk about this relationship that you developed, this friendship with Xi Jinping and the other people in China connected to the, this uh, outreach to the states. Um, how do you, obviously we've seen international relations twist and turn and uh, govern, uh, administrations come and go. How do you on a personal level feel about that connection you established with uh, uh, people from China? Well, the people, the people are strong. I have a long friendship with them. And I think people in China and the U.S. hope that the relationships are better. But I think if we can find ways to work together on maybe uh, energy, global warming and things, and keep the people-to-people relationships strong, building trust, then our people are at the national level. We'll have to address some of the differences. There are there, but let's don't shout about it. Let's work on the things we can do together. And, you know, I have people there. They sent masks and things over during the COVID. And, you know, they call me Mama. I, I love the people there. And I think if we can keep that strong uh, over time, it will influence the leaders. And, you know, we have a strong competitor, but to me, the best way to deal with a strong competitor is get stronger yourself. Find mm-hmm. out what you can work together. Don't blame them. Get our, get our education at the University of Iowa stronger in research so, you know, we can be competitive when mm-hmm. we need to. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you just brought in the university, so let me turn to Dimi Dureska. Uh, Dimi, um, you nominated Sarah Landy for this award, and um, I know that she works with you uh, at your institute and also meets with your students. Uh, tell us about your relationship with Sarah. Um, can you hear me? For some reason, my camera was working, but all of a sudden it stopped working. So We can hear you. Uh, we can, okay, very mm-hmm. good. Well, I... Um, you know, I, I used to work in Muscatine for Stanley Consultants, and uh, I used to hear about Sarah when I was at Stanley, and, and I spent eight years at Stanley, and two of, of them were in Muscatine. And uh, one of the years I was in Muscatine was the time when Vice Premier Xi Jinping returned to Muscatine and uh, to visit the house where he was when he was an exchange student in Iowa. And that's when I got to see Sarah, and, but we never met. I saw her when, when the vice premier was in town in Muscatine. And when I, when I became the uh, director of the Institute for International Business, I, uh, I, uh, uh, my former boss at Stanley Consultants, Greg Stomopoulos, as as well as uh, uh, Dean of the College of Business, told you should invite Sarah to be part of your uh, advisory board at uh, the Institute for International Business. And I, uh, I, I quickly reached out to Sarah, and you know, within you know a few hours after I sent the email to her, she accepted to take uh, a phone call from me. And we talked on the phone and I told her about uh, my passion for uh, internationalizations and, and, and I told her about uh, my vision for the Institute for International Business and how I would like to uh, get some of her wisdom to be part of my advisory council. And, and she accepted my invitation and, and since 2015, she's been on my advisory board and, and provided me guidance on, on uh, how that I can uh, manage to uh, get our students the international experience that they deserve and, and the international uh, 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 exposure that they need to have in order for them to be competitive with their peers uh, around, uh, uh, around the world. And, and I can tell you, uh, Sarah is really the embodiment of of citizen diplomacy, and and uh, she she breathes and lives international. I mean, whenever you talk to her, you can feel it. You can you can kind of like uh, uh, see what's going on, and and the way that she sees uh, uh, citizen diplomacy. This is something that I've never seen uh, uh, in my career, in my twenty-year career in international business, and she believes that. This is how uh, uh, U.S. Uh, should be uh, shown around the world. And this is how, uh, 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 by using common season, that can show uh, the, the good values of, of, of uh, the, the American people. So, so really, in a nutshell, that's uh, my experience with Sarah. Yeah. Uh, and Sarah, what is it like for you to engage with these students who haven't yet had the experiences you've had but are surely looking forward to them. Oh, it's so exciting. When we come to board meetings, there were some people that had been to Haiti and back, and, you know, it just opens. 
their eyes. And, you know, Jimmy, he is too bad you can't see because he lights up the room. He is a gem and a half, you know. He cares and cares. But the opportunities that he has brought Iowans and having the Mandela scholars come to Iowa to meet with the businesses, to meet with individuals, to sort of learn our values and how we do work is really exciting. And when these young people get that opportunity, they come back, you know, once you've traveled abroad, it's, you've got it. You became sort of a world citizen. You know that, sure, you're a member of the United States, but the world is, there's so many other things to learn about and let's get along, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, that's correct. That is correct. And it's, the type of experience that uh, uh, we provided to our students. And when we get Sarah to explain to them uh, why it's important for, for, for them at such a young age to be exposed to international experience. And when Sarah started telling them about her travels, how she's being involved in building relationships, building relationships worldwide, that's something that we need to have, you know, uh, 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 for our students. It's one thing when all of us faculty, we are telling them, but it's another thing when you have others coming from our community telling the importance of uh, international travel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Russ, let me uh, bring the conversation to you. As we already mentioned, and, and you spoke about a little bit earlier, this is International Education Week. What part does citizen diplomacy play in global education? Well, it, it's absolutely essential. I mean, if you go uh, back into history a little bit, into the 1940s and 1950s, and the work that Senator J. William Fulbright did and the work that President Eisenhower did, the emphasis was always on people-to-people -people exchanges. So on a very small level, the idea was to create connections between cultures uh, that would start with individuals and that this would evolve over time into sort of larger relationships, say, between institutions, between regions, between countries, but the idea is that connections between people uh, usually last longer and are more meaningful um, and can contribute more value than uh, presumably uh, sort of contrived uh, relationships or collaborations on a on a political level or on a business level. Those are more fragile or they're more susceptible to coming apart, whereas people-to-people -people bonds are more enduring. And I think that that's kind of the, the philosophy behind the work that Senator Fulbright and President Eisenhower did, and that's what we try to promote uh, during International Education Week. Yeah, well, there are lots of events happening during International Education Week, and I'll just take a moment here to, to mention that if you're interested in finding out what events are happening here at the University of Iowa, we have a full list on um, our website, and you can find it at international.uiowa.edu. Uh, Russ, um, international students have had a particularly trying year. Uh, many of our students have, of course. Uh, COVID hasn't been easy on anybody, on students or on faculty, staff members. Members. But the international students have uh, had a particularly um, 
interesting experience this year. Um, are you feeling as though the, the uh, communication through campus uh, sources and through individual departments and certainly what we try to do in international programs, do you think that that's um, provided what was needed for these students during this time? I do. I mean, we can always do more and we can always do better. But I think that, you know, if you look at the time from when COVID hit throughout the spring and then the summer with, you know, uh, various proclamations and executive orders and different policies coming down that weren't favorable toward international students uh, or international scholars, what was a, uh, I think, um, a silver lining in all of this was the fact that our community was very quick to rally around international students and scholars. And so it wasn't just, you know, messages coming from, from our office. It was communication um, and outreach from faculty, from other students, from community members to show our international students and scholars that they belong here, that they're part of our community, that this is their home as well. Um, and I was very encouraged at how quickly um, that uh, our various sectors of our community showed support uh, for those uh, members of the Hawkeye family who were from international destinations. And, you know, we had several emails from students and their families uh, thanking us for this rapid uh, show of support and solidarity uh, with a community that, quite frankly, felt vulnerable, if not threatened. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a nice circle, huh, Sarah? Uh, we stand, send students out, students come here, and uh, the, most, uh, the, the phrase that has stuck out to me uh, when I've read stories about you is this um, statement that you believe in waging peace through friendship. And yes. I think that's just wonderful. Well, I certainly feel that way, too. And, you know, from our relationships with China, we're still strong friendships there and it's interesting uh, our whole community is volunteers for you know we host we haven't we haven't uh, had a big bankroll for it so when Xi Jinping came to Muscatine he homestayed in people's homes and I think that that and we had potluck dinners you know they never have done that at homes and when he left our home in, in, uh, 19, in 2012, he said to the people, to the old friends, they were the only, he said, uh, you were the first people we met in America. To me, you are America. And I think they didn't, they didn't have friendship like that. So there's a true caring. And when he came back in 2012 and walked in our door, the smile on his face and the handshake. He was eager to see them again. Now we hope our relationships can get friendly or over time or that we can deal with our differences in a constructive way. Mm -hmm. But the people just really care about each other. And over the time when I've worked with sister states too, whether it's the people in Russia or in Russia, Iowa had the first sister state in the United States with a state in 
Russia <laughs> and uh, the Soviet Union before that. Mm -hmm. And uh, my goodness, the friendships that are so strong from that, and that is a slowed down too, but whether it's uh, giving medical advice back and forth and the fun memories too from when Governor Branstead and his wife went over to sign the agreement and goodness sakes, he had Marvin Pomerantz with him and something had happened so there was no visas to let us in. So they had to run out to the airport to give us things. But, you know, <laughs> there were flowers for Chris and the governor and the governor's office always welcomed people. And one more quick story about friendship and welcoming, even in the Xi Jinping story. In 2011, the year before Xi Jinping came to Iowa, Governor Branstad had gone to China, hoping to meet with the president of China, encouraging trade. But instead, he had a 45-minute meeting with Xi Jinping in the Great Hall of the People. And at that meeting, Xi Jinping brought the itinerary of his time in Iowa, an exact time and minute that he was in the governor's office. And people have said at, at that time, we didn't know his background so much that seldom were people given that strong welcome to be in the governor's office. And, you know, they showed respect and it came back too. So we hope we can build on that foundation, but uh, that's what friendship can do. Yeah, yeah. Well, Demi, we can see you now. Before we break yes. off, is there anything further you would like to say? You know, if, uh, if there is one person that I know for sure is working hard to improve the friendship between China and the United States, it's Lynn. And, and I can tell you, with her, you know, good citizen diplomacy, uh, that friendship is going to improve. And the state of Iowa will benefit. No mm -hmm. doubt. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations again, Sarah. And thank you, Russ. Thank you, Demi. And um, we hope to see you again soon. Bye-bye. You, Demi. Thank you. Thank you. Hello again. I'm Joan Kerr for International Programs, and I'm joined by International Impact Award recipients Patrick and Susan Keefe. Hello. Um, also with us are Dom Latendra, Dean of the College of Pharmacy, and Janine Abrams, Clinical Associate Professor in the College of Pharmacy. And uh, welcome to all of you. It's a great honor to meet you, uh, Susan and Pat, and to have a chance to talk with you about your decades-long commitment to global health and to marginalized and under-resourced communities. Um, can you take us back a little bit and tell, you how you tell us how you first became involved in helping people in need? Well, uh, Sue and I just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. Wow, congratulations. Almost 50 years ago, uh, we decided to volunteer as medical volunteers in uh, Mexico. Uh, not only did we volunteer at that time, but uh, Sue was pregnant with our first child. So we went to uh, uh, a part of Mexico, Chiapas, which is a state that borders on Guatemala, and we were assigned to a small town in the mountains called Tila. Uh, Tila was basically a community that serviced the uh, Cho Indians, which is a Mayan Indian tribe. Uh, we were uh, two volunteers behind the church with a couple of priests, and uh, they asked us to start up a medical clinic. 
nobody in that part of the uh, of, uh, of Chiapas had ever seen any kind of modern medicine. Uh, their way of treating tuberculosis was to uh, cut a chicken up and uh, put the blood on somebody's chest. So we started a, a medical clinic, uh, and we initially did a lot of just handing out medicine from the World Health Organization. But after a while, we realized that we had to educate people. So uh, we realized that education is really the key, and access to good health care should be uh, something that everybody in the world has the ability to do without regardless to, uh, to wealth. Uh, so our last year and a half there, uh, we basically Sioux trained uh, women that came in to be midwives. I went out to the small Indian villages uh, with a priest. He would show a film on Jesus Christ, and I had a little uh, uh, microscope, and I would show them what uh, their water was like when it was unboiled because parasitic diseases was a huge problem. So that, that also taught us that uh, we and the United States in particular have so much wealth. Uh, there, uh, they had nothing. I mean, I'm just telling you, it was primitive living at the best day to day. And yet, if somebody got sick or somebody needed something, people would just go over to their house and share with whatever they had. Uh, unlike maybe a lot of people that share out of their surplus, but not really out of uh, what's, what, what they have. And that kind of started us on our path of social justice. So after the three years there, and our son was born there, and this was a town without running water, without electricity, uh, and so it bonded the relationship between Sue and I. I mean, you think uh, in COVID, you spent a lot of time together. <laughs> three years in a small uh, small town where most people didn't even speak Spanish. They spoke a Mayan dialect. Was uh, was life-changing for both of us. And that really was got started on our, uh, our ability to say we have to do more for people that are underserved. Well, before we talk about what came after that, I just have to, to say you both had a lot of grit. I mean, obviously you wanted to do this, but to be there for three years and in really rather um, difficult physical circumstances to have your, your first child, Sue. Um, congratulations. Oh, we were naive puppies. I mean, it was absolutely incredible what we didn't know. Uh, but we learned a great deal and we learned that we could trust in each other. You know, it cemented our marriage. Uh, and so overall, it was a wonderful experience. Wow. So um, can you tell us about some of the other places around the world you've, you've um, taken your skills and some of the other communities you've worked with? Well, I can talk about my work in Nicaragua. And then Pat, as you know, does work in Uganda. Uh -huh. So um, uh, 20 years ago, my uh, our Catholic Church started a twinning relationship, building relationship with a uh, educational center in Managua, Nicaragua. So I have been very involved in that for 20 years. And we provide scholarships for the students, not only to come to the center, but to go to grade school and high school and college. Uh, the center is uh, a wonderful place. Um, just great people who love each other and have such love that they want to share with others. So I love teenagers. And so I've taken 15 
trips down with um, teenagers, um, over 300 kids and, and adults have gone down with me. And um, they left the secure little township here in Cincinnati and opened up their eyes to these people that we work with, our, our brothers and sisters. They're exactly the same as us. Uh, and so that's been a wonderful experience for me. And um, uh, so our work in Nicaragua continues. Yeah. Yeah, I'd add about uh, what Sue has done down there. When uh, it got started, got started by uh, a nun and a priest, and they're no longer uh, there. Both of them have, are deceased. But Sue has really been the spark plug to keep it going. And it's really empowering women. Uh, this barrio in Managua is the worst one in the city. Uh, poverty is overwhelming. And most women face a lot of domestic abuse, never got an education. Well, the center gives them a chance to get an education. Uh, and I'm not talking about some of them learn to read and write, but it's more like learning how to bake how to be a beautician, how to use a computer, how to be a cashier. So instead of selling chiclets on the street, I don't know if anybody's ever been in a third world country where a bus comes to a stop and people are there selling chiclets, these women now have a way of making a living, being in their home, and therefore when their children come home, they're not roaming around the street. So it's a very powerful thing. And the interesting part is the education those kids come back and service the community as teachers, as volunteers. So, again, educating people uh, allows them to then come back and support their own community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, what is the, what's the first reaction and what is the reaction at the end of the experience for the teenagers you take down, Sue? Um, I take it as probably a mix of boys and girls? It is, you know, and they come away... They come away with, um, many of them have gone on to the Peace Corps, many of them have gone on to be Jesuit, Jesuit volunteers or, or uh, volunteers with other communities. A lot of them have worked in, uh, with the immigrants who come to the United States. Um, our parish has sponsored um, immigration, immigrant families from uh, Sudan and also from Egypt. So they've been able to become involved in that way. And then we have a very large Hispanic population in Cincinnati. So one of the things that we've done is develop luncheons where you sit down and meet people who their first language is Spanish and you get to know them as an individual and that's here in Cincinnati. Hmm. So um, the kids the kids do gain a great deal from the trip, but so do the adults. I think for the adults, sometimes, you know, we take away more pearls of wisdom because we know what life is really like and the, and the teenagers, God love them, you know, they are teenagers. So they, they haven't had those life experiences yet. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Pat, tell us about your work with in Uganda. Well, for about 10 years, a group of uh, doctors and nurses have uh, supported a program in uh, Uganda. Uh, and uh, what they started off doing was there was a school there uh, and a small clinic. And we would go over, and in the first years, all we would do is basically have uh, for 10 days, we would see uh, a, a close to 3,000 patients. Uh, but we realized quickly that once we left, what, what did that mean? I mean, you know, you can't just come back once a year. So after the first one year, after the first year, we decided we had to do more to do education. So 
over 10 years, we have uh, been able to develop uh, uh, health workers uh, and uh, given them uh, stuff that they can then deal with out in people in their community. So if we know somebody has high blood pressure, they follow up with them. And these healthcare workers uh, basically ask for the most primitive things to do their job, a backpack and a bicycle. Well, I've done the rag twice, <laughs> and you wouldn't want to have to ride a bicycle in the mountains there and the roads they have, and that's how those women get around. Uh, we started a woman co-op so that women had a way of making money to be able to take care of themselves because uh, many of the men are not as faithful to their wives as they should be. One thing we noticed early on is that everybody had to go down to the river with big jerry cans to get water. Uh, parasitic diseases were rampant. And people would literally walk an hour, an hour and a half a day, fill a jerry can up, uh, and come back. That's how they got their water. Well, we worked with Engineers Without Borders, and we were able to dig two deep wells. And we now provide clean, portable water to 6,000 patients or 6,000 families in that area. Wow. It's huge. And also, the students, uh, we've supported the, uh, the scholarship program there. Uh, one of my uh, greatest accomplishments, I think, is I met up with a young man named Joseph. Uh, he wanted to become a pharmacist, and I supported him, and a number of other people helped as well. And he graduated, and instead of staying in Kampala, where he can make a lot of money, he went back to his small rural community and opened a pharmacy so that he could take care of the people that uh, were around him and his family. And I said to myself, it's empowering when people basically realize that they have to give back, that it isn't just for them. So uh, the Uganda experience has been great, and, uh, and probably Don and Jimmy can talk to you about it, but we have a chance to take some University of Iowa pharmacy students when I've gone, and I think it has been kind of uh, eye-opening for them to see third-world poverty. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for, for bringing Don and Janine into this conversation. Uh, Don, I think I'll go to you first, and maybe you can um, embellish a little bit on, on the uh, connections that the um, Keiths have made, not only with you and with faculty in the College of Pharmacy, but, but also with, uh, with your students. They've made a big difference, right? Yeah, thank you very much, Joan. I appreciate that. And <clears throat> Pat and Sue, it's so uh, good to see you, albeit uh, virtually. Um, I want to just take the privilege of the microphone here to uh, just say a couple of things, if I could, please. Mm -hmm. uh, first, I want to start out with Russ. Uh, Russ Gannam, Associate Provost and Dean, is my friend and colleague. And I just want to give a shout out to international programs. I could wax on, but when I think about Fulbright, when I think about all the various touch points that we have with our international students, uh, make no mistake about it, uh, but Russ and his team just do an extraordinary job. So I just want to give a tip of the hat uh, to, to uh, Dean Gannam and uh, the rest of our colleagues there in international programs. They certainly deserve it. And, and, and Sarah did a wonderful job of underscoring just exactly why that's, that's so important. And with that, I'd, I'd also like to extend hearty congratulations to Sarah and Mishma and, and Nick as well on behalf of the College of Pharmacy. Uh, we're just so very, very proud of, of what you've accomplished. Um, I have been Dean 
privileged. I'm only the ninth dean in, in the College of Pharmacy history. We started in 1885, so we've had good longevity amongst deans. And I started here in the summer of 07. So for the last 13 plus years, uh, I've had the, the opportunity to get to know the Keefs uh, quite well. And a, a couple of points. One, uh, I think one of the reasons why we bonded very quickly is because we're all first-generation collegiates. And, and that allowed us to have sort of a foundation of why education is so important and how we're so grateful to be where we are today because without that education, we simply wouldn't be. And so we, we bonded uh, uh, very quickly. And by the way, um, uh, Pat and Sue, I wanna let you know that I'm here in the office, Louise is at home, but Louise is on this call, which is why two Donald attenders show up uh, on the screen here. So uh, Louise can't speak right now, but I'm, I'm sending uh, big hugs uh, from Louise, Louise, my spouse, who's also a nurse like Sue. Uh, uh, so a pharmacist and nurse, I guess those are good combinations. Uh, she sends her, her love and best wishes to you as well. Um, but, but when I think about Pat and Sue, we talk a, a lot in our college about walking the talk. And it's one thing to talk about healthcare and healthcare delivery, but it's something entirely different to really do things that have a meaningful impact on people's lives. And, and I would say without hesitation at all that Pat and Sue are our poster childs, and I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. I, I forgive me for looking down, but I've, I could do a lot of things off the cuff, but I did in the essence of time uh, I did write down a few specific things that I wanted to call attention to because of the, these are things that we called attention to in, in our letter of nomination on behalf of the, the Keys. One, as you know, uh, as was articulated at the very beginning uh, by President Harold, they've been at this for a long time, like 50 years. Uh, when they started this, when they graduated in 71. So th they're not newcomers to humanitarian efforts. And, um, and, and Sue, if I have the story correct, if I remember correctly, I think Sue, when Sue and Pat met, Sue was talking about her volunteer efforts. And, and that was one of the things that, that immediately they found kinship in that. And, and so Sue was the initial spark, but Pat was right there immediately and, and, and joined in. And that, that has not only uh, been a powerful couple in this regard, uh, but it has certainly been a bond, uh, a very meaningful bond for the two of them throughout their entire life. For the last 30 years, they have served on boards. And, and let me, uh, a few of these have been mentioned tangentially, but the Cincinnati Health, Healthy Moms and, and Babes, uh, the Friends of, I hope I pronounced this correctly, Batahola in Nicaragua, uh, and the Hope for Cabingo in Uganda. So not only are they active uh, at certain times of the year. They're active throughout the year with their engagement uh, in, in boards that help. They were directly responsible for the resettlement of two international families. How many people can say that? Mm -hmm. uh, one from Sudan and one from Syria. How many people can say that they actually helped to resettle a family and get them situated and give them a better life than what they had? Uh, they, they, throughout the key family, uh, because of Pat and Sue and the, and the, the um, uh, the example that they set, their whole family is dedicated to global health. It's just, it's inspiring uh, to see uh, what goes on in, in that family. Uh, as President Harold mentioned, 
uh, they've been very generous with their resources. There are a number of places where they've supported the college from our new facility to several scholarships and fellowships. But the one that I want to focus in on is their, uh, the Patrick and Sue Keefe Service Learning Scholarship, which has been alluded to. And that's particularly important because what I want to say right now is perhaps the most uh, important part of, of the words I want to convey as a dean. They have changed our students' lives because by bringing students with them, they have opened their eyes to things that they never witnessed before. And to a letter, every one of those students has come back and said to me directly, my life is forever changed because of what I was able to do as a result of the Keith Service Learning Program. And to me, that is just extraordinarily powerful to see the bells and whistles and lights go on and say, gosh, you know, I have a higher calling than, than what I'm seeing directly as a result of, 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 of what they've done to help serve uh, underserved populations. Because of that, and I'll close with this and then turn things over to Janine who can elaborate more. Uh, Professor Abrams works directly uh, with our students and can elaborate more about our student experiences. But I wanna just close with this. We think so highly of what the Keiths have done. And as I mentioned at the outset, there are poster uh, children, if you will, child poster children for humanitarian effort. I like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that, that our college saw fit in 2018 to establish uh, the Patrick and Susan Keefe uh, College. The Susan, I'm going to, I put Susan first in this case, the Sue and Pat Keefe. Uh, college's inaugural humanitarian award, and they were our first recipients. That's how highly we think of them. So the Keefs walk the talk. Back to you, Joan. Oh, thank you, John. Gosh, wonderful, wonderful to hear. Uh, it sort of brings tears to my eyes, you know, to hear how the students are so so changed and so moved. And I know that, Janine, you, you um, heavily praised the um, commitments of the Keefs in the letter of nomination uh, for helping students have that chance to have a humanitarian um, experience, an international experience. Please tell us about your work with uh, these projects. Yeah, I think Pat and Susan have opened doors um, to many of our students. They make um, the opportunities accessible to them. And not only that, I think one of the things that I've always really admired is that they show us how to make it a part of our life, right? Many of us think we have these big aspirations, we'd like to do these life-changing things, but I don't know how to get that done. Uh, the students that I've worked with have talked about how Pat and Susan have mentored them and have showed them the process from the start to finish. So involved them in the board meetings, uh, got them involved with seeking donations, asked them to see opportunities to make improvements. And I think that that mentorship, uh, the, the experience is one thing, but the growth and the uh, helping people to do that work uh, elsewhere, I think that that is so notable. Mm -hmm. I had the pleasure of talking with one of the, the former students that went, and we were talking about things that they had carried away. And specifically, uh, the student mentioned compassion. Uh, that uh, Pat and Susan taught her to 
see people in need and to see the opportunity to step in and to help. And I think that's just amazing that they've, they've given that gift to our students in our community. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Pat, Pat and Susan, um, before we wrap up here, is there anything you'd like to say to either Janine or, or to Don or anything more about your own experience with the university? Well, again, like I mentioned before, I think the uh, my pharmacy degree was really the springboard to my success in business uh, and uh, also a recognition that uh, you have to give back. I mean, I think the University of Iowa has done a good job of getting students to basically realize that they need to give back, give back to the university, give back to their community. And uh, I think uh, Jeannie kind of followed behind Hazel Siva. Uh, who got the program started, but the University of Iowa College of Pharmacy does more than just send the students to Uganda. There's other programs that they do. And uh, sometimes I think people in the Midwest uh, forget that there's more to the world than just uh, kind of the Midwest. And I think anything we can do to open our eyes to what's going on around the world the adjunct poverty that exists and our responsibility as a society to see what we can do. And I think Mother Teresa said it best. Uh, you know, sometimes you look at it, it's just overwhelming and you just say to yourself, I'll just do it for one. If I can do it for one, maybe that'll be two. And I think that's the philosophy students need to have. Say, I may not be able to solve the world's problems, but I see somebody in need and I'm going to do something about it. And that starts a spark that Sue and I found 50 years ago that has led us to maybe have more than impact on more than just one person. Wow. Well, beautifully said. And, and thank you so much for joining us tonight and for allowing us to give you this International Impact Award, which you obviously dearly deserve. So, so thank you so much. It's a pleasure to meet you. And thank you, Don. Thank you, Janine, for joining us in this uh, celebration of the Keefs. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Don. Well, welcome back to World Canvas. I'm Joan Kerr. In this final part of tonight's program, we have the great pleasure of talking with two University of Iowa students who have been chosen from an exceptional group of nominees to receive the 2020 Global Student Awards. They are Mishma Nixon, an undergraduate student majoring in English and creative writing. Hi, Mishma. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and Nicholas Straup, a PhD candidate in educational policy and leadership studies. Hi, Nicholas. Hello. And apologies for the mispronunciation of your name earlier on. It was just a miscommunication. But anyway, very nice to very nice to see you both. And congratulations on your Global Student Awards. This is uh, this is um, a pleasure for us to make this award. But you know, you should know that there were so many wonderful nominees for this award. Um, I, you really stand out among a, a very stellar group. I think I'll go to you first, uh, Mishma. Uh, your award recognizes your incredible contributions to campus internationalization. And uh, we heard President Harold talk a little bit about your active leadership here at the UI earlier in the program. But um, let's go back. Uh, tell us about your decision to come to the University of Iowa from your home in Sri Lanka. 
Yes, for sure. Um, it was an interesting decision on my part, I think, because I was not that well known um, in my country. Like people were still confused over what the state is, but um, what drew me there was definitely the writing program. I'm an English and creative writing student, and I just heard so much about that program. And then, um, and then I came there, and I was so scared of coming to Iowa just because I didn't know anyone there like at all and a lot of my friends were like at least try to go somewhere where you know people but honestly this might sound cliche but I think the moment I landed in Iowa like everyone is just so nice and I came with my parents and uh, they were just like okay everyone's so nice I feel okay with leaving you here and going back and (laughs) I think after that it was just all okay. Yeah. Well, when you first arrived, did you did it take you some time to adjust or did you feel more or less immediately comfortable in this new environment? It was it was a little hard, I guess. I mean, I think it's just internationally you think of America and you have this viewpoint. It's not as if I was completely unaware of what I would look like, but I guess I didn't expect all that con. Like I got off the airport, it was just (laughs) con field. And I was like, this is not what I pictured um, any of this to look like. But um, I mean, like I said, everyone was just so nice. I still remember. So we took a cab from the airport and we were coming to the university. And uh, the cab driver, he was, um, we were telling him that I was here for the university. So he just like took us around and showed us all the buildings. Um, and we were just like, he didn't have to do that. But he literally <laughs> gave us a tour of Iowa City before dropping us off. So mm-hmm. I guess I was just like taken aback by that. And um, I guess there were some certain elements of um, trying to fit in and having this cultural shock in certain elements. But for the most part, I think it was very easy to find a home in Iowa City. And so you got involved in organizations apparently fairly early on. Is that right? Yeah, I was I was always involved in school. And for me, I think I've always been that person who um, really want to be doing something all the time. And I think it's also something about being an international student. It's like you're going all the way out to another country and you really want to make your mark there. You don't want to just, I don't know, get your education and come back and not have that experience mean for nothing. So um, I really wanted to do a lot. And in the beginning, it was a lot of event planning that I got involved in, which turned to more leadership and advocacy efforts. And uh, it's been great. I really love everything that I've been able to do. Uh, so uh, it seems to me from the things I've, I've read about you that this sense of community, finding a, a sense of belonging and then helping other students, particularly international students, um, find find their little niche here at Iowa so that they also can uh, enjoy that feeling of community. That's been important to you. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I also said this in my profile, I think it's also because I, and everyone has been saying this before, the sense of giving back. And when I came to the university, I met so many people who were so ready to take me in. I met this whole bunch of Sri Lankan graduate students who were amazing. They just, um, they, they were just showing us around and they really were a big part of making me feel at home. And then I met so many of the students um, who like I was able to call as my community. And I think as I grew older, I mean, I'm a junior now. And I think after being there for three years, it has become very important for me to give that same sense back to students. And I think 
at the beginning, even from the get-go, that has been uh, at the back of everything that I was doing. Even the events that I was planning, it was a lot about making sure that people are feeling at home and expanding the diversity uh, within campus. Um, I think the international and multicultural community at Iowa is amazing because uh, we're a small group of people, I guess, relatively, which actually makes us closer. I feel like you know everyone through someone somehow. And it's amazing to see that level of connection. And I really want to make sure that students who are coming in also get that same treatment that I was able to get. Sure, sure. It might be uh, remiss of me not to mention that you are joining us from Sri Lanka. You are doing your courses virtually, like many students are right now, and all of them will be before too long. But you are not just sitting in, a par in an apartment in Iowa City doing your courses virtually. You are up in the middle of the night um, taking your coursework in Sri Lanka. So tell us about that adjustment. Sure. I mean, technically, it's not night. Now it's 6 a.m. You can see the sun is up. <laughs> it wasn't up before. Um, it has been a, an experience for sure, not just being in a different time zone, but kind of moving back um, home has been very interesting because I think as an international student, I've really um, gotten used to the idea of like being away from home and being by myself and that independence that comes with it. Not that I don't like being back home, but it's definitely a very interesting experience. But um, I mean, I think being in this position has actually helped me advocate for international students a lot more this year, because um, like you mentioned earlier, um, this has been a very challenging year. And I think I've been in the midst of all those very challenging experiences that a lot of students are facing uh, with regards to going home or concern about going home and all that. So uh, if anything, even though it's been challenging, it's been helpful for me to understand and advocate for these experiences a lot more. And um, I guess also definitely more appreciative of Iowa City. I really miss that place and I really miss um, certain things. Like I, I love, uh, downtown Iowa City, I really miss it. Uh, I'm like almost always at Pride Night, so. Mm. Well, we'll be, happy to, we'll be happy to have you back when that day comes. I hope it's not too far off in the future. Uh, and Nicholas, let me just turn to you now. Uh, congratulations to you on your Global Student Award as well. Um, we mentioned earlier that you're a PhD uh, candidate and your award recognizes you for furthering globalization through international research. So tell us what led you into the field of educational policy and leadership studies? Sure, yeah. Uh, well, so um, kind of like Mishma talks about um, the, the academic experience and the co-curricular experience, finding a sense of belonging on campus. When I was an undergraduate, I did all of the activities. I was the, the person who was always involved outside the classroom. And what I found was, oh my goodness, there are so many structures in place uh, at every university or college to structure the student experience so that those, um, those meaningful moments happen. Um, and I wanted to be somebody who was part of uh, building those experiences for students. Um, so uh, I went and I, I got a degree in higher education and student affairs. I worked in the field for a few years and now I, uh, I'm here at Iowa uh, uh, trying to learn about the ways that um, these experiences that people have through their academic programs at universities really change their lives and change the world. Hmm. It sounds like a perfect follow-up to the segment we had before where, where um, Don and, of course, Pat and Susan were talking about the importance of, of um, 
you know, sharing what they've learned with other people and helping to spread the, the um, joy, really, of education and the educational experience. Uh, but Nicholas, I understand that you're involved in projects in Kosovo, in North Macedonia, and in Norway. Um, tell us how that all works. Um, fantastic faculty and wonderful uh, bridge building. So, um, you, you know, we were hearing before about sister states partnerships and one of the other sister states of Iowa is Kosovo. And we have this meaningful relationship. Um, you know, there's a consulate in Des Moines um, for Kosovo and um, being able to know that when I um, uh, got the Stanley to go to Kosovo for uh, that research, um, there would be people who knew Iowa, yeah. um, who knew um, that uh, we have a longstanding partnership. Um, and being here really allowed for that, that connection there. Um, I've had fantastic mentorship in my program because of the, the way that uh, international programs here at Iowa is truly valued. It's not just in name, but it's also in um, supporting faculty who can support students and supporting the students directly. Um, and so being able to, to build more, um, more international networks has been part of that. Um, and, you know, with, with Norway, I think about, um, we are partners with uh, the University of Oslo. Um, so um, some of, sometimes we have um, classes with a, another um, uh, cohort of students there. Um, we've done exchanges. We um, have uh, in, the digital uh, collaborative resources together uh, and just being able to uh, like bring us a little bit closer, a little bit closer. Um, it, has, it has made all the difference. Mm -hmm. Well, um, if you could speak just for a moment about some of the things that, as you, so you have observed uh, educational systems and leadership styles in different countries and different setups, um, how do you think that has changed your, your, your own work, your pursuit of your own PhD, your own writing? Um, what has this close observation of other countries done done for your work? Yeah, um, it was so funny. So earlier today, uh, for example, I was uh, talking, I was in a meeting about um, research about law schools. Um, mm -hmm. And people were talking about the way that the law school application process worked and all of these different things. It was, it was entirely about U.S. processes. Mm -hmm. But the parallels between the way specific U.S. law schools work and the Norwegian higher education application system it's uncanny. And so just, I wouldn't know that. And I wouldn't be able to think through some of the like micro barriers that people are facing in these things if it weren't for having um, uh, an international comparison uh, to be able to draw from. Mm -hmm. And while it seems serendipitous, you know, these are the kinds of things that, um, that, you know, happen all the time uh, because of the way that we can um, start to look at uh, comparative international higher education work um, through a lens that maybe maybe our unique way of doing things isn't so unique, mm -hmm. and maybe there are things that we can learn from others uh, as we as we share mm -hmm. across borders. So we talked a minute about some of the personal challenges that uh, Mishma uh, faced when she came here as, as a new international student. Um, what about you when you launched off on, on your first international projects? Uh, were there any barriers you had to overcome or special challenges? Yeah. Um, I, so I think my, my biggest regret when I was uh, an undergraduate student was not studying abroad. Um, I did not do any type of uh, structured international work until... I became a graduate student here. Um, and so um, 
I was like, well, am I too old to do some of this stuff for the first time? And um, am I too gay to do some of this stuff for the first time? I was really worried about traveling to another national context and being an openly gay man. Um, and the support that I received was overwhelmingly helpful. Um, are contexts different? Absolutely. Are there different um, approaches? Yes. Um, are, is crossing a border of any type a difficult thing? Yes. Um, and I come from a place where um, I know that the challenges that I face in maybe my like slight discomfort are not going to be uh, at the same level as somebody who might be living those challenges day in and day out. Um, and so uh, my, my challenge to just get over it and do good work um, was something that, that took a little bit of time. And um, I'm glad that you know, I had the opportunity to work through some of that myself. And if I remember correctly, when President Harold was making his remarks, he talked about your interest in uh, diversity and, and um, seeing what you can do to, to, to help expand uh, diversity in, in all kinds of educational contexts. Yeah. And I, I, mean, I would think that um, the, the start is awareness. Um, you know, be aware of the human rights situations in the different uh, national contexts uh, that you're, um, you're moving into and through. Um, you know, when, when you're uh, thinking about ways to build a partnership um, that might uh, involve uh, some type of collaborative work in that uh, context uh, that is maybe not the U.S. context, what do people say they need rather than what you think they need? Um, those types of things, uh, that goes a long way. And that's, that's to me, where um, this intercultural understanding um, and an appreciation for diverse, diverse uh, work uh, comes from. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's where I, I start with that. Um, and I hope uh, you know, that will carry through. Mm. I'm sure it will. And Mishma, it sounds a little bit like some of the things you've been uh, dealing with as you sit on the ISAB board and as you, you um, try to help our university understand a little bit better some of these challenges, um, not only during COVID, but at other times as well, that students who come to the U.S. from someplace else have to deal with. Yeah, of course, and I really love how you put it, Nick, uh, about um, how certain news and certain social justice movements or whatever could be seen from different places in different ways and how they all intersect. And I think I've never been more aware of it than uh, now, right now and in this year, uh, because I'm back in Sri Lanka and I see how people react to U.S. news. And I was in the U.S. and I see how we look at the rest of the world. And I have a social justice minor and I sit in my classes and then I wonder, like, like some of these things I would never see it in this perspective because it's a very U.S. perspective. So um, I guess I'm always um, happy and uh, there to give that perspective that a lot of students are hearing for the first time. And I think that's also a really big thing about international education, just in general, or um, working with international students, because sometimes I say things and my peers and students and my friends are like, I never thought it about that way because it's just not the position you're in. And it's not their fault, technically. You can't always think from the perspective of another country, but it's definitely eye-opening. And um, I think that's definitely like what we are celebrating this week, even the, uh, the whole thought of bringing all those different perspectives together. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so before we wrap up here, I'm, uh, I know that we had a little hint of what you will want to do once you graduate from the university, once you finish your PhD. Nick, I guess you're interested in perhaps going into teaching? Yeah, I would love to be a professor um, doing research teaching uh, and the service component of, of being in uh, a higher education institution. Um, it's not just about, you know, the, the things that happen um, in the lab or in uh, a particular classroom, but how the university as a whole sets its mission. Um, and I think uh, the best place to, to be able to do some of that is from a, a professorial role. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it sounded like President Harold was ready to get that contract out right now. For you me. know, let's do yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and Mishma, um, for you, obviously a creative writing, English major, um, what do you want to do? Yes, so um, my one true love is children's literature. I, uh, I, I just have a special bond with it. Um, I grew up reading them, of course, and uh, and like a lot of students around the world, that's how I learned English. And here I am as an English major, the reason why is children's books. Um, I also think they're very, very important uh, to once again learn about the world because they're both a mirror and a window to the world for a lot of kids. So that's what, where my passion lies. So uh, both about writing them and also research in them, especially with regards to inclusion and diversity and all these themes that I keep bringing up. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a pattern, as you can see. But yeah, definitely... <laughs> Um, something to do with writing, but definitely something very specifically related to children's books. Great. Well, it is a true pleasure to meet both of you and to share this conversation with the people who are listening now. And um, congratulations again on the Global Student Awards that you richly deserve. So Mishma Nixon, thank you. And Nick Straub, thank you. And I want to say thank you to everybody who's been watching the program this afternoon. Thanks to all of our earlier guests and particularly the International Impact Award winners, Sue and Pat Keefe and Sarah Landy. Um, I hope you'll be with us also on December 8th at 5.30 for our next program when we discuss teaching and learning post-COVID. And a reminder that if you're interested in International Education Week's, uh, Week um, activities, you can find them at international.uiowa.edu. So for International Programs at the University of Iowa, I'm Joan Kerr. Good night. <laughs>